episode 38. What is the biblical purpose for speaking in tongues? This is the listener-submitted question that we will address on this episode of Bible FAQ with Kirk Van. Welcome back, friends, and thank you for joining me today. I'm Kirk Van Odeham, the host of Bible FAQ with Kirk Van, the podcast that provides brief, thoughtful, biblical answers to your questions. And I'm looking forward uh, to getting in uh, to this with you today on this 38th episode of the podcast. And before I do that, I just want to mention quickly, uh, you can listen to or watch Bible FAQ with Kirk Van podcast in a number of different formats. Uh, it, the podcast is available in any app or service that whatever you use to listen to podcasts, it's likely there. Uh, it is available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, and many, many others, many, many more than I can have time to talk about now. If you'd like to see the full listing, go to our website, kirkvan.com, click on the link podcast, scroll down, and you can see all the various podcast platforms that uh, Bible FAQ is available on. We are also available in video format, uh, the most popular of which is Facebook, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Bible FAQ with Kirk Van. Click on the video link and you can see all the episodes of all the previous uh, episodes uh, that we have had of the podcast. We're also available on uh, Google. And to get that link, again, go to our website, kirkvan.com, and just click on the YouTube link at the top of the page to find our YouTube site. Again, archive of all the episodes up to this point. If you'd like to submit a question to be considered on a future episode, and we have quite a list coming, we hope to get to all of them very soon, uh, but you can do so. Again, our website, kirkvan.com. You can send an email. The address is ask at kirkvan.com. Or again, go to that Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Bible FAQ with Kirk Van, and you can leave us an instant or a direct message there. And whatever, whatever way you decide to submit your question, we will be glad and honored to have it and put, uh, list it, uh, add it to our growing list, I should say, and address it in a future episode. Well, let me get right to the question that we have for today. And uh, this question comes to us through Facebook, instant message. Uh, and the listener's name is Wayne. And Wayne is from Bridgetown, Barbados. So it's so nice to see that people even outside of the U.S. have found the podcast and are enjoying it. So thank you, Wayne from Barbados, for sending this question. And the question is, and I'm going to read it exactly as it was sent here. It's fairly brief. It says this, When I go to church, I hear others praying and speaking in tongues, and I can't understand what they are saying. What is the purpose of speaking in tongues? Well, thank you again, Wayne from Barbados. That's a, uh, a very a good question to ask, and I'm so glad you did. And I'm going to do my best to answer that in just a moment. Before I do that, I just want to share something very quickly. Now, I know Wayne's not saying this. Uh, he didn't indicate this in his question. But a lot of times when people specifically who are critical of speaking in tongues or skeptical of the practice, 
a lot of times when people talk about speaking in tongue, they do so in a, uh, let's just say, a, a not very um, sympathetic way. And they make it try to sound like some kind of fringe practice or some kind of strange phenomenon that's only observed or believed by a small group of people. Actually, nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, according to the best statistics I could find, there are over four, excuse me, there are over 584 million Christians in the world who self-identify as either Pentecostal or charismatic. I won't get into those terms right now, but the, the common denominator of both Pentecostals and charismatics is the idea of glossolalia, speaking in tongues as a spiritual gift, the, the experience and the practice of doing such. There's other things as well, but that's the primary one that unites all Pentecostals and Charismatics throughout the world. Again, 584 uh, million, much more than half a billion Christians in the world uh, identify with this practice. To put that in perspective uh, about uh, of all Protestants, uh, Protestant Christians in the world. Uh, that so that'd be non-Catholic, non-Orthodox Christians of all Protestants. Excuse me, about fifty-three percent identify as Pentecostal or Charismatic, and therefore identify with this practice and experience of speaking in tongues. So again, uh, it's far from some rare, strange, fringe practice only known and 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 observed and exercised by a few, uh, it has become mainstream in Christianity over the past 120 years. And quite frankly, uh, it, the practice deserves more understanding, it deserves more recognition, and it deserves more respect uh, for people who try to characterize it in some other way. Now, I know that wasn't Wayne's question. Uh, we'll get back to his question now, but I thought that was very interesting. And while we're talking about speaking in tongues, I thought that would be something Good information to throw in here. So back to the question that Wayne proposed, what is the purpose of speaking in tongues? And of course, we want to go to the Bible to answer this question. And in thinking about this and how to uh, describe it and how to define this, it seems to me that there are at least four purposes for speaking in tongues that are articulated in the New Testament scripture. So I'm going to talk about each one here, uh, and I'll try to be as brief as possible. So the first purpose of speaking in tongues, as outlined and described in Scripture, is that speaking in tongues is the initial sign of baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we'll say it's the initial evidence or the confirmation of the infilling or the indwelling or baptism of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Now, I've discussed this phenomena at length in a previous episode. So if you want to know more, much more detail about that, I'm, I'm not going to try to defend that or describe that here. Uh, so if you're interested in learning more about that, I invite you to go back and check out episode number 13. Again, you can check it on the web, kirkvan.com and get all the different ways to listen to that. Go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Bible FAQ with Kirk Van. Look for episode 13, and there'll be a whole long explanation about speaking in tongues as the initial evidence or the initial sign of the Holy Ghost. And we'll describe all the biblical precedent, and we'll answer all kinds of uh, objections or criticisms 
criticisms that people have of that view. So again, episode 13 of the podcast, go back and check that out. I won't recount all that here, but I will give a very quick overview so you have a little bit of basic understanding of what I'm talking about here as tongues being the initial sign of baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, this is the consistent record in the Acts of the Apostles, also known as the Book of Acts in the New Testament. Uh, and that is that when a person or when a group of people were filled with the Holy Spirit in Scripture, they spoke in tongues quote, unquote, as the Spirit gives the utterance, according to Acts chapter 2. So again, this is the clear precedent of the early church. This understanding is never contradicted or disputed throughout the rest of the New Testament. Uh, that was the experience that the apostles and all the disciples and all the early Christians in the New Testament uh, uh, were exposed to, experienced. And um, there are four detailed historic accounts in Scripture in the book of Acts of people receiving the Holy Spirit in this way. And each of them, again, were confirmed with the sign of tongues. We have the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the, the birth of the church, the very first time uh, that the Holy Ghost was poured out. We have in Acts chapter number 10, the first Gentile believers in Caesarea, um, when the Holy Ghost came upon them, they spoke in tongues. And that was the confirmation of the evidence uh, that, the, that the previous uh, Christian converts recognized that these Gentiles got the Holy Ghost the same way we did. In Acts chapter 19, we have these individuals who are described as disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, they had an imperfect, incomplete understanding uh, of of Jesus and the plan of salvation and uh, this Christian Christian religion that they had accepted and believed in. They were followers of Jesus, students of Jesus. Uh, uh, they had commit themselves to be such, but they had not yet experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Paul asked them that question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Or in some translations, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? They said, no, we haven't. We haven't even heard of it. He said, well, let me tell you, by laid hands on them, they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. And that was how they knew. And that was how Paul knew. In Acts chapter 8, and I list this one last, the Samaritans, the first Samaritan converts to Christianity in the city of Samaria, um, they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, in this passage, tongues was not specifically mentioned, but in the context of the passage, it is clearly understood that tongues were present in the context because there was a supernatural sign uh, that the apostles themselves, John and Peter, when they prayed for them, that they knew when they received it. The people themselves knew, even uh, onlookers who, who were uh, unbelievers or not uh, uh, when they looked on, they could tell when someone got the Holy Spirit. It was evident to everyone. And in conjunction and parallel with all these other passages, we know that that could have been nothing other than speaking in other tongues to be consistent with these other passages. So that is the first reason. It is the initial sign uh, when the Holy Ghost decides to fill or baptize an individual. Um, now, we could speculate on the various reasons regarding why God chose tongues as the initial sign of the Spirit infilling. I don't have time to go into that, but we could speculate on that. Perhaps another time we'll do that. Suffice to say that there is at least one reason as to why tongues are important in this regard as the initial sign of the Spirit. 
And that reason is by its very nature. Speaking in tongues requires divine supernatural empowerment. In other words, one cannot speak in tongues of their own power or their own volition. It requires God to fill you. It requires, as it says in the book of Acts, as the Spirit gives the utterance. And so as such, uh, it is the sign, it is the confirmation that the Spirit has come. And uh, it is a confirmation of the person that they know when God has filled them. There's no conjecture necessary. There's no guesswork. There's no wishful thinking. Uh, they know for sure because of the supernatural sign that accompanies it. Uh, there certainly is more to the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit other than only speaking in tongues. That's not the that, that's not the only thing that happens as a person speaks in tongues. Uh, you know, there's justification that takes place or sanctification that takes place as, as the new birth, uh, you know, develops in the life of a new believer and they're filled with the spirit. Uh, there's a transformation of the life and a transformation of a person's will and desire. All these things take place. But tongues accompanies that and it serves as the initial sign uh, that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, a confirmation, not only to the individual being filled, but to the other, uh, you know, Christian workers and ministers and brothers and sisters in Christ so that they can celebrate together and that they can be of one uh, mind and unified on the matter. So this is all important, this I, biblical um, theme that speaking in tongues is the initial sign of receiving the Holy Ghost. Um, it's important because we should not mistake such things such as acknowledgement of Christ as a Savior, that the, the Spirit automatically comes on a person uh, when they do that. Or perhaps some, you know, seek some kind of, you know, emotional feeling or moving feeling, and they identify that as the Holy, Holy Ghost coming. Now, you know, people often tend to get emotional at that time, uh, but that in and of itself is not the sign of the Spirit. It's not automatic evidence that God has filled them with the, uh, with the Spirit. And we know this to be true because Scripture itself lays this out for us so clearly. In these examples I have uh, discussed, well, Acts chapter 8 is perhaps the best example. Um, the Bible clearly demonstrates that these individuals, these Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, they, they believed in the preaching of the gospel. They accepted its message. They, so Many were even blessed by healing and other miracles. They experienced a feeling of great joy from believing. They even submit to water baptism. Uh, and all, all those things are wonderful. And all that is a part of this, uh, you know, new birth experience of water and spirit. But they still, even after all those experiences and all those uh, and all those feelings and all those events, uh, they still had not received the infilling of God's Spirit. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans had become believers, how they experienced miracles, how they submit to water baptism, how they felt great joy, they heard of all these things, the apostles didn't say to themselves, well, let's go down to Samaritan and congratulate the Samaritans and celebrate with them because they've received the Holy Spirit. No, they didn't say that at all. What they said is, let's travel down to Samaria because we want to pray for them. We want to lay hands on them that they might receive the Holy Ghost after now that they have submit their lives to God and believe the the gospel and been baptized, they still needed to receive the Holy Ghost. 
they knew that they had not yet because there was not a sign that they that accompanied this. We could see the same thing in Acts chapter 19. Again, these 12 men were disciples. They were followers, believers in Jesus, yet they had an incomplete understanding. They had a uh, incomplete experience. They had not yet received the baptism. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the full uh, plan of salvation, uh, new birth of water and of spirit. It's also true in, in, even in Acts chapter 2 itself. Now, one would think that the disciple, the 12 apostles and 120 of Jesus' top disciples, including Mary herself, one would think, well, certainly they had the Holy Spirit already. Uh, they witnessed the resurrection. They believed in Messiah. They even saw Jesus ascend into heaven. You know, if anyone were believers, if anyone was saved, it was them. If anyone had the Holy Ghost, it was them. But the last thing Jesus said before he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1 is, is that you shall receive power after the Spirit comes on you. Yeah, but so Terry Year, stay here in Jerusalem until you be endued with the power from on high. He said, John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost in not many days from now. And he said that this is the promise of the Father. The Spirit was to come. They told them, you haven't yet received the Spirit. We'll wait here until you do. And they knew they did uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt because of this miraculous sign of tongues that followed. So to reiterate the first pur purpose of speaking in tongues in the Bible is that it is an initial sign, evidence, confirmation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That brings us to the second purpose that we find in the New Testament. And that is as the speaking in tongues can serve as a miraculous communication tool for missionary or evangelistic purposes. And we also find this in the book of Acts, that that was the case in Acts chapter number two. This is the only occasion that this particular usage is described and identified. This particular purpose is identified. Uh, but nevertheless, we shouldn't overlook it. So when the Holy Ghost fell on this 120 disciples on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, as we discussed, they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Or as some translations said, they spoke with other languages or they spoke in different tongues or different languages. So the verse that follows then describes uh, part of the significance of this. Acts 2 and 5 says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when, they, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And that was verse 6. So the idea here that they all heard them speak in their own language that is restated and reiterated another time or two in the same passage. So it's very clear what happened here. Now, let me give you a little background so we can understand. Some people think that's odd. Well, why are there so many people that spoke so many different languages all there present at this time? Well, the background to this is that they were all there observing and celebrating uh, the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, this was, uh, um, they were Jewish pilgrims that came from all over the Jewish world at that time, which was spread throughout all the Greco-Roman world and even into the Near East, outside of the Greco-Roman world. And um, so all these Jewish people, they came as they did three times every year to Jerusalem to celebrate, to commemorate, to observe uh, this pilgrimage feast uh, of Pentecost. The other times were Passover and tabernacles. And the law stated that every male uh, 
Jew who was financially able and, and was healthy enough to travel, that they were required to do that to present themselves in Jerusalem. So that's why so many people were there. And uh, in, in the Bible, the, the, um, the text tells us that when these 120 uh, disciples of Jesus spoke in tongues on that first day of Pentecost, uh, all these pilgrims heard them speak in their own native languages. And there are at least 16 different parts of the world, presumably with 16 corresponding languages that were all represented there that day. Now, that may just be a partial list. It's not necessarily exhaustive. So suffice to say, at least 16 different groups of Jews throughout different parts of the world, probably at least 16 different languages, native languages that were represented there. So when the, when the disciples, the 120 spoke in tongues, they heard them as if it were their own language. And what was the content of this message? Well, Acts 2 and 11 simply tells us, uh, the people said, we do hear them speak in our tongues or our languages, the wonderful works of God. Or one translation says the mighty works of God or the magnificent acts of God or the wonders of God. So that's what the message was conveyed. That's what they spoke. So it's kind of an open question. Was it kind of like the book of Psalms type of praise about the wonderful work of God? Was it like kind of a reiteration and an anointed summary of the gospel message, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ? We don't really know for sure. All we know is that what, whatever that message was, it was mighty, magnificent, wonderful works and acts of God. And the people heard it in their own languages. Now that, you know, kind of raises another question. Um, so cessationists, who are people who believe that tongues have ceased and spiritual gifts have ceased. So cessationists and other critics of speaking in tongues like to use this passage as quote-unquote evidence that, in their view, tongues as they are experienced today uh, are not the same experience that is described in the in the Bible, and uh, they will they will further say uh, they will point out that this is the case because uh, the one and only purpose for tongues in Acts chapter two, according to their view was to communicate with this diverse group of Jews who all spoke in different languages. So this miracle was required to spread the gospel, to spread the message to these people who didn't speak the same language. And so, you know, in keeping with their cessationist view, they'll say now that that's no longer the case, and no longer necessary, tongues is no longer necessary, among other things. That's, you know, a quick brief summary. And so they'll use that as kind of evidence that, you know, speaking in tongues is no longer required, no longer necessary, no longer real, whatever they believe. Now, there are several problems with this line of thinking. There's several problems with that conclusion. Let me name just three here, and I'm going to try to be very brief about it. Number one was that tongues was apparently not necessary on the day of Pentecost in order to convey a message. And we know this because immediately following this supernatural encounter of speaking in tongues and the supernatural hearing of all the people in their own languages, the very next thing that happened, they wanted to know what this means. So the apostle Peter stood up on behalf of all the other um, apostles and he spoke to the people of the message. He, he, he preached a sermon more or less. He gave a public address. Now there's no indication in scripture 
that there were translators required to translate from whatever language Peter was speaking into other languages. No, the, the, the simple uh, reading of Scripture just demonstrates that uh, when Peter gives his message, uh, that it was understood by everyone. Uh, and so all, they were all Jews. They all likely understood a common language. Best guess, most likely that would have been Hebrew because Hebrew was the language of the Torah. And they would all uh, read, grow up reading the Torah and hearing it read in Hebrew. So they would be, at least have some, uh, some fluency in Hebrew. Another uh, you know, possibility is you know, the vast majority of them were, lived in the Greco-Roman Empire. And perhaps they were all familiar with some basic Greek um, probably the former is true, but those are just a couple possibilities. The point is that speaking in tongues didn't appear to be necessary in order for the people to communicate with one another because there's no other instances. Um, uh, there's no there's no reason to believe that translators and what have you were required. They all uh, could communicate just fine, seemingly so. The second point I'll make is that none of the other passages in Acts besides chapter number two mentions uh, tongues having that purpose of communicating in a different language for missionary or evangelistic purposes. Again, think of Acts chapter number 10 with Gentiles. They spoke with tongues, but there's no indication that it was so that they could be heard and understood in a different language. Acts chapter 19, they spoke in tongues, but there's no indication that it was for the purpose of understanding a different language or communicating in a different language. Uh, so, um, you know, in Acts chapter two, you know, this missionary evangelistic communication was a purpose for tongues in Acts two, but is clearly not the one and only purpose. Uh, it, it existed at least in that one incident, maybe others as well. Uh, but it's clearly not the only purpose for speaking in tongues. And the third thing I'll mention, and there's, I'm, I'm sure there's other arguments we can make, but the third thing I'll mention is in, in 1 Corinthians 14, where it goes into a lot of details about speaking in tongues, interpretation, tongues, and prophecy, and spiritual gifts in general. Paul discusses uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 9 through 19, that passage, Paul discusses and he says that if speaking in tongues in a corporate, you know, worship setting, in a group worship setting, is not followed by an interpretation of what's being said, then no one is able to understand it and it is not beneficial to anyone in the church. So let me kind of put that another way. If God's only purpose for tongues in the next in the New Testament was as some hold an interlanguage communication then the people in Corinth would have been able to understand the speaking in tongues without an interpreter. Because if that was the purpose so that they could understand, they would be able to understand it without an interpretation, without a translation, if you will. But that's the exact opposite of what Paul is saying, the argument he's making. He's actually arguing for the supremacy uh, of prophecy over speaking in tongues in a corporate worship setting because he's saying if, if there's no interpretation of the songs, tongues and no one understands it, which flies in the face of this cessationist view. So at any rate, to reiterate, the second purpose of tongues on at least one occasion in the New Testament was used as a miraculous communication tool for the purpose 
of missions and evangelism. And perhaps, again, not just to spread the gospel, but at the very least to as this sign, this, this miracle to get people's attention that something miraculous is happening here and they should pay attention at the very least. So that's the second reason. Two more very quickly. A third reason is that speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift used by God to convey a message in order to edify the church, is what it says in 1 Corinthians. That is to build up the church, to provide spiritual growth and development for the church as a whole. So, of course, in the context of 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, uh, tongues is one of the nine spiritual gifts that is discussed. The other ones would include uh, word of word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, working of, of uh, miracles, prophecy, and then tongues and interpretation of tongues. So it, in that sense, it is discussed as one of these nine supernatural gifts. Again, cessationists and other critics claim that some or all the gifts of the Spirit have ceased to operate in the church. And I also discussed this in more detail in episode 13 of the podcast if you want to get into that. I won't reiterate all that again today, but obviously this is not the case. And again, I don't have time to expound here except to say that Paul himself admonishes the Corinthian church in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, verses 4 through 9 and others. He admonishes the Corinthians to seek all of the gifts of the Spirit. And he specifically says that they should do so until the time of the coming of the Lord, until the second coming. They're supposed to seek after the gifts, pursue the gifts, desire the best gifts, uh, not just in the Corinthians' day, but until the second coming of the Lord. So tongues didn't cease. Uh, First Corinthians talked about a time when tongues will cease, but that will be after the second coming of the Lord and the establishment of the kingdom in eternity. So, um, you know, to, to briefly summarize how this works, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues in order to edify the church, um, here's briefly how it works. Just a quick, quick summary uh, of 1 Corinthians 14. So in the corporate church environment, in the church worship setting, God empowers or inspires or gifts one or more people to speak a message in an unknown tongue. Paul also talks in 1 Corinthians 13 about tongue of angels. So it's not necessarily a human language, uh, but just a, a heavenly language or, or a, a, a language that we don't know or understand. It may not even be a human language. And uh, ideally then, according to, again, this quick summary of 1 Corinthians 14, ideally another person after someone has spoken tongues and a message to the church, will be inspired and empowered to provide an interpretation of just what was just said. So together, this tongues and interpretation of tongues, they work together uh, to provide uh, a, what would be tantamount to a word of prophecy, an inspired ecstatic utterance. The Bible also tells us, and again, I'm just summarizing uh, very quickly, um, that as a spiritual gift operating during corporate worship service, tongues 
com, uh, along with the interpretation of tongues is a sign for the unbeliever. Again, kind of like on the day of Pentecost, a sign for them to see a miracle and to pay attention and know something powerful is going to happen. Whereas prophecy, just a prophetic utterance of God without the tongues and interpretation, but just in the language of the hearers, uh, is a sign for the believers. And again, this is all part of 1 Corinthians 14. So um, that's the third purpose. So the first is to, to, uh, as an initial sign of the Holy Spirit. The second is, you know, at least in one case, uh, an evangelistic tool to share the gospel, to spread the gospel, a miracle to, to uh, appeal to people's sensibility. The third purpose is as a supernatural gift used to for God to convey a message to the church to edify or build up the church. And that brings us to the fourth and last one. The fourth purpose uh, of speaking in tongues in the Bible is as a spiritual blessing or a spiritual benefit uh, of personal prayer and devotion to uh, an individual believer. So the Bible kind of describes this and says it manifests in kind of two related ways. So first, one benefit of tongues in our personal prayer life uh, is as a blessing of spiritual growth and maturity individually. So in 1 Corinthians 14, while this was not the main point of the passage, Paul does point out and explain that when a person speaks in tongues, uh, in his own prayer time, in his own devotion time, he says he is speaking to God. It says he is personally edified or built up, encouraged, inspired, uh, and so forth. And it also says that when a person does that, again, this is in your personal prayer life, uh, that that person is praying with his spirit. Uh, as opposed to, he juxtaposes that with praying with his mind or praying with understanding. Related to this, Paul also stated that uh, the person who is praying and speaking in tongues as a part of his prayer and devotion, um, he, Paul states that he, desire, uh, he desired that all would speak with tongues in this way. He said that he was thankful that he himself spoke with tongues frequently. He said that no one should discourage or forbid speaking of tongues. And he, all that was said in relation to this idea of speaking to God in prayer and speaking to tongues in that way. So, um, you know, again, Paul said this is the person is edified. He's praying with his spirit as opposed to praying with understanding. Um, and then secondly, not only is a person speaking, uh, who speaks in tongues in prayer, praying from his own spirit, but scripture bears out that there, that he is also praying with or through the spirit when that happens. Uh, in other words, the Holy Spirit itself, the spirit of God intercedes for us through our prayers. And allow me to just share some relevant verses to this. First Corinthians 14 and two says, for the person who speaks with another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries of the Spirit. The Amplified Bible expresses that same verse. In the Holy Spirit, he utters secret truths and hidden things. Again, 1 Corinthians 13 and 1, it contrasts tongues and languages of, of humans 
with the tongues or languages of angels. And so in 1 Corinthians 14 and 15, it says this, What then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with my understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. I will also sing uh, and praise with my understanding. And so, again, this is the contrast here, uh, that when a person is praying and singing and praising in the Spirit, uh, this is is part of the discussion of speaking with tongues in a personal prayer devotional sense. Now, many Bible commentaries believe that Paul's statement in Romans 8, 26, and 27 deals with the same theme or topic. And again, this is a bit of an open question, uh, but that seems to be the case, to, to at least to many Bible students. Romans 8, 26 begins, In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he that searches our hearts knoweth the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So again, in this way, again, this isn't even the main point of the passage. The main point of the passage is to talk about the spiritual gift of tongues operating in the corporate setting. But Paul describes it in contrast to speaking in tongues in a, in a, in a personal, devotional, prayerful setting, saying that edifies the believer, that, that uh, helps the believer pray in the Spirit, that helps him get closer to God in that way. But when that takes place in the church in a corporate public setting, then it needs to operate a little bit differently. And again, I know I'm not explaining all the details of this. I just want to point out the major purposes that the Bible points out for speaking in God. So to reiterate, the fourth purpose of speaking in tongues is that it is a spiritual blessing and benefit of the believer's personal prayer and devotion to God. So in summary, I'm going to wrap this up here. The question was, what are the purposes? or What is the purpose of speaking in tongues in Scripture? And we can identify at least four. And let me just reiterate those very quickly to summarize here. Number one, speaking in tongues is the initial sign or evidence or confirmation of baptism of the Spirit, being filled with the Holy Ghost. Number two, in the book of Acts chapter 2, speaking in tongues also served as a miraculous sign to inspire beliefs, belief in God's presence and therefore served a missionary or evangelistic purpose. And in that case, they actually heard it in their own uh native language, whether that was a miracle of the tongue or a miracle of the ear is the open question, Uh, but it served that missionary evangelistic purpose to inspire belief in God's presence. Number three, speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift used by God to convey a message in order to edify or build up the church, to grow and develop the church. Again, that's discussed in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And then finally, in that same explanation, Paul draws a distinction with the fourth purpose, and that is speaking in tongues can and does serve as a spiritual blessing and benefit of the believer's personal prayer and devotion time. And as such, uh, it helps the individual grow in 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 faith and maturity, uh, and the Spirit intercedes on our behalf, uh, utter secret truths of hitting things, as the Amplified Bible puts it. And so um, we grow in our faith, we grow in our depth of experience with the Lord and relationship with Him 
when that beautiful experience takes place in our personal devotional prayer time. So there's four purposes for speaking in tongues uh, in the New Testament. As you can see, it's not a one-size-fits-all. There's different uh, reasons for speaking in tongues at different times, but all of these are valid biblically speaking. So, uh, was it Wayne from Barbados? I hope that answers the question you have and anyone else who may have been thinking about the same question as well. Well, that's all the time I'm going to take for today. Again, thank you so much for joining us on the Bible FAQ with Kirk Van podcast and check back again soon and often for additional upcoming episodes where we answer uh, your Bible questions. So again, thank you until next time. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Thank you for listening today. Goodbye for now.